Welcome to episode 59 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is bracing for the latest round of the snow apocalypse, John Scott Sloat. Doc, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it is uh, it is cold on this Monday afternoon as we record. We're recording in anticipation of uh, a a blast of winter weather here uh, in our in our area. Seven to ten inches is what I'm hearing. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, seven to ten. Um, but we've already had one or two uh, have already fallen as a part of that seven to ten. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I, I think tonight into tomorrow morning is when it's really supposed to come down. So yeah, we'll, I think uh, I think that's the case. We'll we'll see. Did you shovel yet? Did you, did you clear off the driveway? No, I'm in a bad spot um, because we still have some stuff. We have some packed ice slash snow on our driveway from the previous round because when it came through, my back was still more or less thrown out, mm. and so that was. Uh, not feasible for me to really get out and address that. Okay, so it, it, it could be dicey. Well, and, and are you a salt man? Are you, are you going out there with salt? I I typically am not. I should be. And then I tried on um, Saturday to go out and find some salt, and of course Menards. Everybody sold out. Yeah, yeah. sold out. But um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna reap the consequences on this one here. So well, if only you had an able body uh, able bodied young person. Uh, in your household who could come home from college yeah, uh, he, to, to do some of that work for you. Yeah, theoretically, you might think that, though Tuesday's a game day for him. So I'm hesitant to put him to work on a game day. <sighs> I mean, where where does his commitments lie? Is it with the family <laughs> or is it with uh... – with the team, I think it's you know? with the team. When when when, wow. when the option of sh- of shoveling or uh, <laughs> or wow. basketball, I think it's I think it's pretty clearly basketball. Okay. So in any case, um, we are uh, grateful that the studio, normally a little chilly, is not that bad today. Yeah, in the midst of a snowstorm, is actually pretty warm. Yeah, not too bad. So, uh, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on. Various social media platforms. We're on Twitter at V and S Pod. You can email the show, various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, various and sundry podcast. And now we are excited to dum, announce da, da, dum. that we are also on YouTube. We, we are. We have posted. Now, audio only, I mean, it comes up with a nice little podcast graphic, but you won't see our uh, our faces. We have posted now all back episodes of the Various and Sundry podcast on YouTube. So just search for Various and Sundry podcast. And if you really want to do us a solid, what you can do is go on there and subscribe. Mm-hmm. That would be helpful. So uh, if you know people who uh, access podcasts through YouTube – let them know. You can now uh, listen to the podcast on YouTube. And we are talking about some potential things we could upload that would include video. Yeah. And and, and you let's, – let's put it out there on the table. You like that idea way more than I do. Yeah, I got no problem with that. Yeah. I do not like that. Uh, I mean the people want to see your face, John Scott. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think people are clamoring for my face. 
I, I think your wife would appreciate it. <laughs> oh, she's texting me right now. Yes. Uh, so uh, also, if you'd like to go on to the uh, podcast app on your iOS device, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. Five stars, please. You can say whatever you want in the review. Yeah, we're open to criticism. Yeah, just you know, keep keep the streak alive of the five mm-hmm. stars. So, well, we are mid February, and um, we are, have kind of hit the the sports. Not it's not the full lull, but anytime once the football season ends, at least for me, my attention turns more to NBA and college basketball. Sure, but the the my level of attentiveness to sports tends to dip a little bit. Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a lull as and then when you get into March, uh, it picks up for college basketball for for me, but it, but at the moment we're we're in the doldrums. I mean, it's not quite the baseball all-star game week where there's <laughs> there's no sports on whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but it's a close it's a close second. Yes. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little NBA. Okay. Let's start with your Knicks. What's going on with the Knicks? Yeah, they won two games this week. They traded for Derrick Rose. Um, my yes. dad is calling me and asking, did you see the Knicks game or did you see the – which he has not done since I've gotten a cell phone <laughs> has he ever said those <laughs> words to me. Uh, so you know things are things are turning around a little bit and he's paying okay. attention. I think he likes Thibodeau. Um, I think he likes defense and so he's uh, he's paying attention again. So. Well, I'll tell you what, if if the Knicks can figure out how to become a lockdown defensive team, that could be their sort of distinctive because the trend across the league is just the offensive explosion. Yeah. And the number of games where you're seeing the final scores in the 120s and even the 130s in regulation, not going into overtime, uh, has, has definitely increased. So I think that you know, maybe that's an, a niche for your Knicks. Well, uh, but hold the presses. <laughs> I, I did see an article this week that said the owner, the beloved James Dolan, came out and said, yeah, I'd be willing to trade all this young talent for a superstar, um, which in, in my estimation would be a big mistake. And something that they already did for Carmelo Anthony uh, yeah, years ago. Maybe we need to define more carefully superstar. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know who he's talking about. I mean, but. maybe if you could get like a top five in the NBA level superstar. Yeah, maybe you consider something like that. But uh, I don't see that happening. I don't see the Knicks being able to do that. I hope not. I like the young group they got. They're playing hard. They're playing tough, and they're playing defense, which is which is a way to win some games in the NBA, which has been fun. Anyway, let's move on from the Knicks. Uh, the big news in the NBA that uh, broke this morning on this Monday as we record is that uh, Anthony Davis of the Lakers, oh, yeah. partial they, – they fear he has a partial tear in his Achilles and they're going to uh, look to see if they can do some treatment and sit him. Uh, speculation is anywhere from a month to two months to sit him and rest him and see if that gets it back to the point where he is um, – where he needs to be. Uh, now, that, that that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. If, if – uh, I mean during the regular season, I don't think it matters that much quite frankly. Like if you take AD off that team, the Lakers still have a lot of talent in addition to LeBron obviously. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't see them winning an NBA title without Anthony Davis on that squad. Yeah, I don't think they make a deep playoff run without Anthony Davis. And I get fearful with Achilles injuries. They can now Kevin Durant has seemed to come back pretty pretty well. Yep. But yeah, with with particularly these bigger guys and the Achilles injury, I do get nervous about them coming back. Some guys come back and are just not the same. Yeah. Yeah, understandably. That's that's a, those are that's a scary injury right there. It's not, you know, in some ways, you know, you think back into like the into the 70s and even to the 80s. Like if you blew up your ACL, it was like well, you might come back, but you're definitely not going to be the same. Sure. And nowadays, it's like, eh, I've torn my ACL three times, and you come back, and they're basically the same player, and people are like, yeah, it's annoying, and you have the rehabilitation, but you come back essentially the same caliber player. The Achilles is, like you said, hit and miss. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, college basketball, now with football done, more people also start to pay a little bit more attention to college basketball. Yeah. And we're about, I want to say, five weeks from Selection Sunday. So, you know, you're getting down towards the end of the regular season, towards the conference tournaments. And we mentioned last week on the pod that this is a, an inc- a historically bad year for blue blood programs. Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, UCLA, all the sort of like big name blue blood schools uh, are down this year. And Michigan State in there as well. Like there's a good chance that none of those teams make the NCAA tournament. Can you imagine an NCAA tournament without (laughs) – now Kansas is still probably – they just fell out of the rankings somewhat recently. So they'll still make the tournament. But, but without Duke and Kentucky. But without a Duke. I mean Duke and Kentucky, barring something freakish, are not going to make the tournament this year. Yeah. How yeah. weird is that? Yeah, it's going to be pretty strange. Although that that does feel like it opens up the field a little bit for some other teams to potentially rise to the surface and uh, and win some games. Yeah. So the uh, a new thing that the NCAA Tournament Committee has started doing, I think they did, started doing it last year, but – uh, periodically, I think – I don't know if this was the first or the second time they've done this. They release uh, – towards the end of the season, they release the uh, the top 16 teams as they see it uh, based on resume and they give you like you know one seeds, two seeds, three seeds, four seeds across mm-hmm. the regions. And uh, when they released it this weekend, the number one seeds were Gonzaga – and Baylor, both of which are undefeated still. And then um, Michigan and Ohio State were now, the other one seeds. Now, do you believe both Michigan and Ohio State are true one seeds or are they trying to get a little play there between the rivalry? You, you know what I mean? I think they are both legit. Michi- okay. Michigan has lost one game. Oh. Now, they're, they're just coming off of a three-week COVID pause. So they're like 13-1. and one. And they were just blowing people out. So so they haven't penalized them at all for missing three weeks. And Ohio State has the most um, – they, they break up your wins in the, the different quadrants. Basically, quad one wins are highest quality wins. And Ohio State has the most quad one wins in the country. Hmm. And they have I think four or five road wins against like top 15 teams. So – 
they are they are legit when it comes to their resume. I still have some questions. They they've won six or seven in a row, and they're playing in the toughest conference in in the country in the Big Ten this year. So, um, I think both those teams are legitimate number one seed contenders. We'll see if either of them can make it through the end of the Big Ten season without getting beaten up a little bit by the toughness of the conference. Hmm. So we'll see about how uh, how that develops. What about Major League Baseball, John? We're uh, in spring training now. And almost, I, almost in spring training. Well, didn't pitchers and catchers report? Or they So different teams have different dates. I think some reported today, uh, but like the Mets don't report till Wednesday, pitchers and catchers. And then uh, everybody else reports on Friday. Gotcha. Now, now, speaking of your beloved Mets. Yeah. How excited are you that they have once again invited Tim Tebow to spring training? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I sent a tweet to you uh, earlier this week uh, where it talks about you know the future world where devastation, nuclear wars happening, all these things. And the Mets still invite Tim Tebow to, to camp. Um, but remember, Sandy Alderson, the president of baseball operations, was the GM when they initially signed Tim Tebow into the farm system. So maybe he's trying to like validate what he was doing. You, you know, I, I don't know. What's but. the downside though? It's, I mean, even if it's purely, which, which it is, a purely a publicity thing, what's the downside? Well, you, you lose a spot in spring training for somebody younger who could, who could come along. Um, I think Tim Tebow will be the oldest person at camp except for maybe one other person this year. Other players. Sure. Sure. Right. He'll he'll be like the second oldest person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Including the major leaguers that are there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I was just excited to hear that because I know you're a huge Tim Tebow fan. Love me some Timothy Tebow. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, controversial subjects, are you ready to uh, move on to our main topic for today? Sure. Sure. We're going to talk about baptism. Okay. But uh, I think first we should probably just explain to our listeners why. Why are we talking about baptism? Like what, what was our motivation as we sat down and thought about topics to talk about? I mean uh, truthfully, we put this together in January sometime. I don't remember my state of mind when we were talking about baptism. But uh, you know, it's part of the life of the church. Um, it's something that uh, – that uh, I know you and I have both taught on at different times as well. Yeah, I think that um, we wanted to discuss the ordinances as part of the life of the church. And so next episode, we will do the Lord's Supper. Okay. And, um, you know, we've talked about we've talked about different aspects of ministry in the church on this program. We've talked about preaching several times, different angles on preaching and that sort of stuff. And um, I, it seemed like to perhaps round out some of our discussion of the life and ministry of the church that uh, at least a little bit of discussion on the ordinances would be a, a good thing. So maybe we should start with uh, the difference between in, – in essence between what Protestants refer to as ordinances and the Catholic Church refers to as sacraments. So how how would you maybe articulate some of the differences between perhaps how the Catholic – because obviously the Catholic Church practices baptism 
as does the Protestant church. Sure. Um, so how might you characterize just in general kind of the the way that those two massive chunks of Christianity think about ordinances versus sacraments? Well, I mean, first there's – they practice them very differently, right. uh, uh, first of all. Um, ordinances, there tends to be two. Uh, two. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Baptism and 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 uh, the Lord's Supper. Yes, and, our, and our our uh, our our Grace Brethren friends are uh, right now screaming at the uh, at the <laughs> podcast, but we'll, we'll we'll circle back around perhaps to that. Um, and sacraments, there's, there's uh, seven. Um, yeah. there, there's there's a large number of sacraments, including uh, things that we would hold up as good things, right? Marriage. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and penance and confession. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's se- there's um, several others in there as well. Um, but yeah, and I think um, ordinances is in part another way to say these are these are what we do regularly. This is what the church does. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we don't necessarily want to call them sacraments and get people confused between what Catholic Church does, Protestant Church does. Sure. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, I think that. An important distinction is that within the Catholic tradition, the uh, what they think of as sacraments are uh, these activities that are viewed as imparting grace, almost mm-hmm. like grace is this substance or this thing. So that if you participate in these sacraments, it's like you receiving this substance called grace. And so there's the seven of them, whereas Protestants think of these as um, things that Christ has commanded the church to do that are visual depictions of spiritual realities. And it's not this sort of uh, almost mechanical kind of experience where it's just do this and you get the grace Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like it's this sort of formulaic thing. So I think that's an important distinction to to start with. But um, so let's say I'm going to put you on the spot here, John. Let's say you're uh, you're traveling overseas as you are want to do when that's actually a thing. When that's a thing again, yeah. yeah. And um, you're in a coffee shop in some uh, some part of the world that is maybe predominantly, let's say, predominantly Muslim or Hindu. Okay. And uh, someone notices that you're reading a Bible and you strike up a conversation about Christianity and this person says to you, OK, what is baptism? What, what, is, what, is it, what does it mean? Why do you guys do that? Like maybe they've heard of it, mm-hmm. but they don't know what it is or why Christians do it. So where would you start in trying to explain what baptism is? Um, yeah. Uh... I'd probably start with just a pretty basic, uh, just particularly with the cultural differences, just to make sure that we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, going into water, uh, fully submerged, uh, to depict. So you're not going to allow sprinkling. Mm-mm. Okay. No. 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 Okay. Um, in order to uh, depict. Uh, 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 the death uh, and resurrection with Christ. Uh, we have died with Christ. We have been raised with Him, as as Romans six would say. Okay. Um. So to give that that very very simple image to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, okay. And, and then and then begin to talk about how uh, 
in the early church, this was a marker of uh, of Christian faith, right? Uh, look at the Ethiopian eunuch in, uh, in mm-hmm. Acts who um, is reading, comes to an understanding of the gospel uh, by Philip and, and goes, well, there's some water. Why, why shouldn't I be baptized? Why, why shouldn't I get baptized? Uh, and goes into the water and gets baptized. Um, so uh, I would say it's a uh, outward depiction of what has happened inward. Um, and so it's a, it's a profession of faith. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and here is where probably some of our uh, – perhaps some of our Reformed and Presbyterian listeners are now – Very upset. Screaming at the, at the pod mm-hmm. uh, because what you just described was a, a more or less a Baptist – a Baptistic understanding of baptism – which would be where I'm at, you know. <laughs> right. That's not, a, that's not a criticism. But um, yes, so th- that is um, that is one area within within the Protestant tradition where there is a where there's difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. So what you just described is is obviously a a a more Baptistic understanding that baptism comes after a profession of faith. It is a visual mm-hmm. picture of uh, one's union with Christ, dying with Christ, uh, being buried with Christ, and rising with Christ from Romans 6. But uh, our Presbyterian friends would probably understand it a little bit differently. They wouldn't deny that that's a form of baptism, mm-hmm. but they would say there's another Form of baptism. Yes, they would. <laughs> yes, yes, they would. They, I mean, they would say uh, it has replaced circumcision. Yes, right. Uh, circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and man in the Old Testament. They would say that we do the same thing now through baptism to our infants. So they would they would uh, sprinkle, um, not as a means of salvation, not not to not to save them, uh, but to. Uh, and correct my terminology if I'm off here, but to bring them into the spiritual household, to bring them into the spiritual community. Is that is that am I using the right terminology there? Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, I think that, um, and this is where it's interesting. Baptism reveals uh, some of the theological differences between a more sort of Presbyterian. Uh, Reformed tradition and a Baptistic tradition when it comes to understanding that. Um, I think that for, for Presbyterians, there is a, a, a more of a focus on the continuity between mm-hmm. the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. And so they see that the act of baptism as being equivalent, as you said, to circumcision. And of course, under the uh, under the old covenant, uh, you circumcised the male children on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. And so, by analogy, our Presbyterian friends would say, baptism is the new covenant uh, uh, initiation right into the covenant, and so uh, that should be given to the infants of believers as a mark of them participating in the life and community of the people of God without it 
uh, in any way conferring actual saving grace. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, that's that's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big difference. <laughs> it is a pretty big difference. So um, I was baptized both ways. So you're covered. I'm covered either way. <laughs> <laughs> so I I grew up in a Methodist church. Oh, okay. And they they practice infant baptism. So I was sprinkled as a as a young child. But then uh, when I was about to join a Baptist church after I graduated from college, I was on staff with Crew. Uh, they required baptism, which I think is right, uh, for membership mm-hmm. in the local church, and they required that it be adult baptism. And so, both my wife and I were baptized as adults in that way. She also had been. Uh, Sprinkled as a child, though not as an infant, I don't think. So, um, I, I think that you know, there's there's a lot of theological uh, issues that come into play into that. I I've never been persuaded of the arguments that my Presbyterian friends, even John Calvin, <laughs> marshaled. Uh, not saying that I'm friends with John Calvin, uh, but. I remember reading his institutes and getting to the section on baptism and thinking, okay, convince me. And walking away thinking not convinced. Nope. Not convinced. Hmm. Not convinced. So have you've always grown up in a in more of a in in, in church traditions that are more baptistic in that sense? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean there were some there were some subtle uh, I think baptistic power plays going on, um, maybe from my grandparents uh, more than my parents, but basically like we're the most right. We think the Presbyterians might get into heaven. So sort of a sort of a vibe going on. Gotcha. So and you're not sure, but you think they might have put a little pressure on uh, your parents to get a get a Presbyterian uh, pastor over there to to sprinkle you. Um, no, 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 no. What did I say? They were my grandparents were very, very Baptistic. Oh, I thought you. I thought you meant. Sorry, they were sorry. I, I no, 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 misunderstood no. you. No, 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 no. They would say Baptists were the most right, and I see. Uh, specifically General Association of Regular Baptists uh, the were the garb. yeah were the most were the rightest right. <laughs> were the were the were the rightest around and <laughs> and uh, so yes, I think it was uh, very, very important that we went to a Baptist church and we were. Okay. Baptized as uh, adults. I think I was like 11 or 12. I yeah. don't know what you call – I was aware enough to know what was going on and to say, yes, I'd like to be baptized. That, yes. That's sort of when I got baptized. Yeah. Post I, – I, just post-conversion mm-hmm. baptism. Yeah. Um, this is a, a, a bit of a funny story. So, you know, uh, we raised both of our sons in, in a – in that more Baptistic tradition. And I remember when our oldest uh, son was born that there was some pretty serious pressure from my Lutheran grandparents oh. that, he, that he needed to be Sprinkled. baptized yeah. uh, as, a, as a baby. But it was coming from them through my mother to me. <laughs> so I was trying to explain that, you know, that's, we, we don't believe that in terms of infant baptism. And um, so, so there's a little little back and forth. And at one point, like 
apparently my grandparents offered like because we were going to visit my parents and bring you know our oldest our, our son for extended family and and sure. friends to yeah, meet yeah, yeah. yeah it's all part of the process so apparently my my grandparents said well what if we brought the lutheran pastor there and <laughs> we just sort of sprinkled him there no no we're not going to do that did they bribe you in any way to get him no no i mean i said like if they want to talk to me about my biblical reasons for thinking the way I do, I'm happy to have that conversation. Of course, they wanted no piece of that because it was tradition. Did they offer the Lutheran pastor to come speak to you about that? No, they did not. Okay, okay, no, they okay. did not. So that could um, have been a fun conversation. It could have been. It could have been. So, in any case, um, let's. Uh, when when you think about, I mean, you mentioned. Um, one of the key texts when it comes to baptism. Um, any other texts that come to mind? I mean, there's a lot, so we're not going to even remotely claim to be comprehensive on this subject. But when you think about helping people understand mm -hmm. baptism, what are some texts that come to your mind where you think, I want to point them here? Well, I, I think of Jesus's baptism, uh, the baptism that he went, uh, mm -hmm. he had. Um, yeah. And uh, and maybe you would you wouldn't mind uh, answering for us or talking to us about my goodness a lot went on at that baptism right yeah right uh, God God speaks down and says this is my son who I'm well please a dove descends on Jesus you know all, all the all these things yeah uh, should that be our experience in baptism <laughs> as well or, or or how does that look yeah I do not think we should expect a voice from heaven or a dove to descend. <laughs> from the heavens. But um, I, I do think that there's a lot going on with that with that passage. I mean, it's, it's interesting that in when Jesus approaches John to be baptized, uh, Matthew records John basically saying, um, th isn't that backwards? <laughs> like, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, not the other way around. And Jesus says, basically, we're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness, that, that somehow Jesus being baptized was a necessary part of his work, not in the same way that we're baptized. He wasn't repenting for his sins. He sure. had none. But he was reliving Israel's experience. Like when you look in those opening chapters of Matthew, he in essence is reliving Israel's experience but obeying where – uh, they had failed. And part of this, the significance of baptism is when you think about what happened to Israel after they were brought out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. They passed through the waters of the Red Sea. And so there's this association with uh, in, in, a, in some sort of sense, a sort of immersion, although the water was you know walled up around them. They sure. were in still in yeah. some sense surrounded by water. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a picture of, um, of what uh, Jesus experiences in the Jordan River. And then, of course, that becomes something that we experience through water baptism with him. Another key part of that passage is that in the lead up to that, John makes clear, I'm baptizing with water the one coming after me is mm -hmm. baptizing with fire and the Holy Spirit. So that even the, the, the act of water baptism 
points beyond itself to spiritual realities. And in particular, um, in addition to the significance we mentioned earlier about union with Christ and portraying our uh, death, burial, and resurrection, it also uh, is a picture of us being given God's spirit hmm. to dwell in us as his people. So I think that – I mean there's a lot going on yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> in that passage. But um, I think that you know, those are some of the key takeaways from the accounts in Matthew 3 and Luke 3 in particular. So uh, maybe, maybe moving uh, uh, beyond the scripture a little bit to some more practical. Who, who should be baptized? Um, when should they be baptized? How often should they be baptized? Uh, what, what, what do you uh, what do you and what do you say to somebody? Because there are, there are a lot of people who had your exact experience yeah. who grew up in a in a church, whether it was Lutheran or whether it was Catholic or whether it was uh, Methodist, who were baptized as, as children. Um, what what is your answer to them uh, about what they should do? It's in some ways it's not an easy question, but. Um, when I when I was required to be baptized as an adult, I was not that pleased. Okay, I did not think at the time it was necessary. Hmm. I've since changed my mind, so that I do think that was the right thing to do. Because ultimately, I'm not convinced that. Um, just because of the way that infant baptism is understood and presented versus believer's baptism, I just think that they're sufficiently different that I'm not sure I'm ready to say, well, if you were baptized as an infant, you don't need to be baptized as an adult after being – after your profession of faith. Hmm. So now that I know there are some churches that do practice both. There are churches out there that practice really? both. I don't, yeah. Could you name it? Is it a denomination or is it more individual churches? Because that's that's a that's a fascinating hermeneutic. Like pick a lane, people. <laughs> I I have a church in mind, but I'm not nine. I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is correct. So I, I want to be careful about naming them. Okay. 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 But um, I know of churches, and if I named this church, everybody, almost everybody listening would say, "Oh." That church, mm. but before I say that's what they do, I want to. I, I I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay, okay, off air convo. <laughs> that's right. Um, bonus material. Yeah. Um, but um, I think that uh, I personally do not think that's that's probably the wisest course of action. But um, I do think that within. Uh, a more baptistic understanding, you know, a believer's baptism understanding. It is a legitimate question as to how how old should you be before you get baptized, and this mm-hmm. is something we wrestled with with our with our sons. Um, and I think that uh, both of them were baptized in uh, in basically in their junior high years. Okay, um, so twelve ish. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the funny thing is my my youngest son kept asking to be baptized and we kept putting him off. And uh, sort of the, the clincher was after – this is probably like the, the fourth or fifth time he had asked us to be baptized. Um, he said, 
dad, in, in Sunday school, we were reading about the Ethiopian eunuch. And he believed and he was baptized right away. Why can I not be baptized? I believe. I've believed for a while. Why can't I be baptized? <laughs> so, um, yeah, putting the uh, the biblical scholar on the uh, on the defensive there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I do think there is a place for some wisdom there. Um, I, I still think that you know, late elementary, early junior high is probably the earliest I'd feel comfortable because. Part of the challenge is I want to be careful about giving a false um, a a false sense of assurance, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure they understand what it actually symbolizes. Like, what is the significance of this? Why are you being baptized? And one of the challenges with kids growing up in a in a in a believing home is it can be hard to tell even for them. Do I really believe this, or is this just what I've always been taught and just sort of picked up? And so. Do they really own it as their own? Mm-hmm. So I think those are legitimate concerns, um, but it, it's not an easy question. And uh, churches obviously differ on that. Sure. Um, well, there's a lot more that could be said. Do you have any? Do you have any recommendations for us as far as uh, resources? Point us. Point us, Doc. Yeah. So uh, we've got three here. One is a book. Uh, Edited by Tom Schreiner called Believer's Baptism. It's got we, a, we like Tom Schreiner. Yeah. Yeah. We're big Tom Schreiner fans. Yeah. Solid dude. And a um, lot of good content in there. Different uh, scholars contribute different um, essays on the topic of baptism. Another book that's helpful is a book by David Wright called Baptism, Three Views. So if you want to get a little, um, little more perspective on how different – uh, traditions approach baptism. That's a good place to go. And then lastly, there's a book by Everett Ferguson called Baptism in the Early Church. And he goes hmm. into uh, how it was practiced in the first four or five centuries of the church, which is fascinating because there was there were developments and changes. And you know, one of the topics that always comes up in that discussion is what about baptizing babies? We don't explicitly see it in the New Testament, when did that start? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, our Presbyterian friends would say, well, it's implied by these certain things here. And um, Ferguson, you know, goes through the history and looks for references and does, I think, to me, at least a pretty persuasive job of showing that that wasn't the practice of the earliest church. It only developed over time. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And um I, I have not checked out Everett Ferguson's book. I'll have to do that. But I imagine, I imagine uh, in the first century there were some droughts that happened, uh, made water difficult to get to, and probably brought about some of these uh, some of these different practices. Well, there's an interesting passage in the uh, in the Didache, which is an mm-hmm. early Christian writing from late first century, probably. Yes, I showed this in church history. Arguably yeah. the earliest. Um, non-biblical writing from the New Testament period. Mm-hmm. And there's a section in there that talks about what do you do if you don't have enough water to immerse someone? And basically what you are uh, instructed to do is have them stand in water and then you pour water over them to uh, to try to compensate for the inability of having enough water to actually fully immerse hmm. the individual. And of course uh, – we need to throw a bone to our to our FGBC listeners. 
Yeah, Zach in Ohio is going to be upset. Zach in Ohio is going to be upset if we don't mention this. But there is also evidence in the early church that at least parts of the early church practice triune immersion. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with what that is, basically it's the idea that you are immersed three times, once in the name of the Father and then again in the name of the Son and then again in the name of the Holy Spirit. And there is some evidence that in the early church, at least parts of the early church, practiced that. Yeah. So there's there's our bone to Zach there, in Ohio. There, yeah. There you go, Zach. <laughs> so we've got to move on to uh, our athlete as we are uh, running a bit long here. So episode 59. Um, yeah, we don't have that many options. This has been by far the slimmest pickings we've had in terms of co- in terms of quantity. Yeah. I think we've got, you know, a, a, we've, a good option in here. Yeah. Um so uh let's 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 walk through them. Yeah. Um all three of them. Um <laughs> uh, the first one, Jack Ham. Yes, uh linebacker for the Steelers, part of that uh, historic uh, steel curtain defense. Yeah. Um played for 11 seasons. Legendary. Legendary linebacker for the Steelers. The the next one uh, Whitney Merciless. Great a, name. A linebacker for the Texans. I believe he's still in the league or maybe recently retired. Okay. But um, fabulous last name. Oh, great last I name. I mean, for a linebacker? For a linebacker, yeah. Merciless is great. Um, and then our Ohio State contribution, Tyquan Lewis, a defensive end from 2013 to 2017, and I believe is still on the Colts. He okay. was drafted by the Colts. Uh, very good. Not on the same level as like the Bosa brothers and Chase Young good, but like still a very good defensive end. He'll have a probably a five, six, seven-year career in the NFL and, you know, do all right for himself. Enough to get that lifetime health care. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That comes so, with playing three years. So who do you want to go with here? I mean, really, I think we have one choice. All right, Jack Ham it is. Mm-hmm. One thing you liked. Uh, this week, I'm recommending a podcast that uh, I've listened to quite a bit over the last year or so. Uh, it's called Choose FI. Uh, that stands for Choose Financial Independence. And they just break down twice a week. They're breaking down uh, personal finance. Very, uh, very helpful show. Okay. Gotcha. How about yourself? Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned a few weeks ago um, Scribd. And so I've been diving into some uh, some audiobooks. And I started one over the weekend. I had a little bit of a road trip to see some family. So had a total of about three and a half hours in the car. And I started a book by a man named Navid Jamali. And the book is entitled How to Catch a Russian Spy, the True Story of an American Civilian Turned Self-Taught Double Agent. Hmm. So this guy, I'll, I'll be brief here, but uh, so it's it, – the author is is the character. This is a true story. This uh, Navid Jamali, his family ran this um, kind of bookshop slash research place in New York. Okay, and uh, it was in the family for you know thirty plus years. And in the late eighties, they started getting these uh, diplomats from the Soviet mission coming in and asking for, can you get these books or these journal articles for us? We're doing re- – we're part of the UN Commission on uh, Disarmament or something like that. 
And so they would get you know, hard to find journal articles or conference proceedings or those kinds of things. And so this guy grew up uh, with his parents doing this and he decides, I want to see if I can like get this guy to bring me into his circle of trust and basically out him as a spy. So he he gains the confidence of this Russian diplomat who is trying to get uh, information, most of it not classified. But then, you know, there's the occasional, can you get this? And so he, uh, so he works with the FBI and turns himself into a double agent. Wow. So I'm about halfway into it. It's fascinating. And it's told with some good humor and it's, uh, it's a good listen. Okay. Wow. So we have talked some NBA basketball, some college basketball. We've talked baptism in some of its various forms. We've talked infant baptism. We've talked believer's baptism. We've talked Jesus' baptism. We've talked immersion, sprinkling, triune immersion. We've talked Jack Ham. We've talked about pursuing financial independence. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how to catch a Russian spy. So I think by definition, we've arrived. We've done it. Yeah. Yeah. I think mission accomplished. And so all that's left to say is the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.